0: Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, excited to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And today we're going to be talking about dynamic designs for learning, uh, looking at some terrific in-person strategies and how we look to digitize those and carry them over into that remote space. And I know this is a topic that uh, educators everywhere are interested in, as we uh, have so many different hybrid scenarios that are playing out right now, many teachers teaching from home. And so trying to keep up that effectiveness and that engagement in those spaces is just paramount. And I'm grateful uh, to Kristen Schlechter and Amy Schultz for joining me today uh, to talk through some of these strategies. We're going to cover five of them. And so I'm going to start by letting Kristen and Amy introduce themselves. Amy, yeah, give us a little bit about your kind of history and education and yeah, let us know a little bit more about you.
1: Hello, I'm so grateful to be here today and to share um, our story and how we kind of came to be and share our interactive learning strategies that we have to share with you today. Again, my name is Amy Schultz and to share a little bit about my story, I've been at ESU 9. This could be a whole podcast, I think of how I got to where I am right now. (laughs) But um, I have been at ESU 9 for, oh gosh, over 15 years now. I would say that if I were to share kind of what I spend a lot of my time and energy doing at ESU 9. I focus a lot on English language arts. Instruction would probably be where my heart is. I really enjoy diving into instruction, whether that be instructional models, whether that be best practice, whether that be in coaching, instructional coaching. That's probably where my heart is. I also spend a lot of time in continuous improvement and curriculum and
0: assessment.
2: So that's a little bit of my background at ESU 9.
0: Awesome. Hey, thanks. Yeah, and Kristen?
2: My name is Kristen Schlechter, and I am with the service unit currently in my sixth year, former science teacher, middle school level. And I agree with Amy, my passion is instruction. And especially right now, instruction is all about producing, developing, creating, designing, learning experiences. So one of my favorite quotes right now um, from Albert Einstein is that, learning is experience, everything else is information and we're living in the information age. So information is at our kids fingertips. How do we transform that information into true learning and application to their real life? So I think both Amy and I, we are teaming up over and over and over again to try to develop these dynamic designs for learning. So we have some awesome high impact, highly interactive strategies that we are so excited to share with you today.
0: Uh, I cannot agree more that it's just imperative that we try to just, like think about these as experiences and something I've even personally shared in particular as it pertains to the remote setting is I'd love for it to be less of a landing page and more of a learning home right <laughs> and That's trying nice. to think about those types of uh, yeah design aspects to that experience in that space uh, and I'm so just amped <laughs> to learn a little bit more of some of the strategies that you have had a chance to traditionally advocate for in that in-person setting but then also the creative ways that you're flexing to allow that to yeah, fit in that remote setting as well uh, and so I know we're gonna start off talking a little bit about jigsaw right Amy
1: yes so jigsaw is what I like to call an oldie but a goodie I feel like it's been around for a really long time. We are super fans of John Hattie's research on visible learning. And if you're familiar with that research, the effect size of jigsaw is a 1.2. So it matters, it has impact. And I think that's why we continue to bring back the jigsaw because it really does have impact in the classroom. So I'm going to share a little bit about the oldie but goodie, the traditional steps of a jigsaw. But then what I'm really going to dive into is what that could look like digitized. Because we can take this oldie strategy and we can digitize it and create an experience like we have been talking about. So the traditional version or the traditional process of a jigsaw is where you have your class and you divide them up into groups. And each person in that group becomes an expert on a particular topic. For example, if your overarching topic for the day was natural disasters and you broke your students into small groups, someone in that group would become an expert on tornadoes, someone on hurricanes, someone on volcanoes, someone on earthquakes. And then you're going to take all your volcanoes and put them together, all your hurricanes, all your tornadoes, whatever. They're going to become experts on that topic. Go back to their original group teach the original group about the topic they became an expert on. That's the jigsaw in a traditional sense. Now, what I really wanna spend time on is how do you elevate that and how do you digitize that strategy that works so well in person, you can make that work just as well in a digital remote world. So here's where I get excited because this is where I'm really into creating an experience. I'm really into even theming your lesson design, because like you re- you said before, people remember those things. They don't remember boring, they remember experiences. So how can you, and if you're a teacher that you're like, yeah, I don't dress up, I don't do those things. Okay, fine, then create a Bitmoji and have them dress up. <laughs> um, so my Jigsaw Digital version, I, um, I know I took this from someone on Twitter and it's the Iron Chef theme. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the iron chef show, but in a nutshell, it's a show on the food network where they bring in all these chefs and they give them a task to make something. So let's say everybody there has to make salmon, but there's always a secret ingredient. So whenever you make this, you have to make salmon, but you have to make sure you include the secret ingredient. It has to have the secret ingredient. And the secret ingredient is usually something that maybe doesn't go with salmon. So you have to get really (laughs) creative when you're including the secret ingredient. So I'm gonna take this jigsaw and I'm gonna iron chef it. So teachers are going to have to, again, put students in groups, just like you do in the traditional sense. But a way that you could do this, this would be like a commercial break here. A way you could do the grouping in a digital sense is using a tool called Flippity. So, if you're not familiar with flippity it's a website it's free you literally go to flippity and you upload your class so whether you are an elementary teacher or a high school teacher if you're a high school teacher and you have several classes you would just upload every class into flippity and it puts it does all of the grouping for you whether you want them in groups of two groups of three if you want them to line up if you want a seating chart if you want teams, if you want them bracketed, there are so many features to Flippity that can help you with grouping students. So if I was to do this jigsaw strategy in a digital world, I would have Flippity help me put them in groups. So that would be the first thing I would do. I would put them in groups. I would give them maybe that same topic we were talking about in person, natural disasters. Each of them would have a natural disaster that they have to become an expert on. I would utilize Google Slides. I would have them use Google Slides in an interactive sense where they each have to create a slide on their natural disaster, but they have to include the secret ingredient on their slide. So I would share with them the secret ingredient. So maybe for this example, I'm going to say you have to include a GIF or a GIF. What do you call it? Is it a GIF, a Giffy, a I, GIF?
2: I say GIF because I feel like they are true gifts to how I can, you know, make something more colorful and vibrant and get their attention. I like that. Let's go with GIF because it's a gift. and they usually make you laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, so the
1: secret ingredient is a GIF. So they have to include a GIF in their slides. Now here's my other commercial break here. If you are not familiar with GIFs, or how to embed them into a Google slide, there's a couple ways you can go about that. You can simply go to your browser and search for images and then narrow your search to a GIF and embed it that way. Or you can get the GIF extension, which is what I have and I use it all the time. The new craze right now, within that GIF extension, there is also GIF stickers. And the stickers are, I feel like is a new craze. They're a great way that you can guide the person who's interacting in your slide because they have arrows, they have buttons that tell you to tap here or click here. So I really like the stickers because whether you're synchronous or asynchronous, if you're using stickers in your Google slide as a way to interact, the stickers really elevate and help guide the learner. So that would be my secret ingredient. You have to create this slide. You have to make sure it has a GIF and then be prepared to share a 30-second presentation of your slide about your natural disaster. So that would be my example on how you Iron Chef and digitize Jigsaw.
0: I I love that Iron Chef reference. And that has been something that just uh, maybe it's a little peripheral to the conversation, but I've really encouraged teachers at this time when they're looking to be engaging to turn to television, right? And things like that and say, what are they doing in that those spaces that that might influence the, I don't wanna call it gamification necessarily, but kind of, <laughs> of this experience in a remote setting. And, and so it's cool that whether that's in person or remotely, uh, that influence was there in trying to add just kind of that element of just something extra, right? I, it, I think innovation happens so often when uh, we have to create within limitations. And anytime you throw something like that in there, you do force people to not only do the task at hand, but to do that in a way that uh, really has to troubleshoot around that piece. And so that's really cool. I love that, that that's uh, part of that jigsaw. Uh, Kristen, how's that kind of hit your brain?
2: Actually, it's hitting my taste buds because you mentioned, you know, how you love the Iron Chef. And honestly, it's adding flavor. And when you think truly, when you're eating something and it's memorable and you want to engage, maybe cook it yourself because it was oh so good. It's because it had flavor. And I think relevancy is a strong flavor for our kids. Like you mentioned referencing TV. That's where my brain is at.
0: Awesome. I really like the, uh, the metaphors here that we're sort of like <laughs> dropping in and uh, bringing a little, little, little taste of remote learning to everyone. I know.
2: So. I'm going to have to eat when we're done with it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right?
2: Yeah. Metaphors uh, could have been one of our strategies. Um, the one that I would love to share next is cooperative graffiti. But I would love to throw you a question, Andrew. Sure. When you hear cooperative graffiti, what do you think that looks like?
0: Um, well, I think there's a, there's a version of that that gets you arrested, but I I would (laughs) probably say in a classroom, um, you know, I think of your traditional posters around the room and students contributing to different posters that would then be a piece that you would reference for some sort of follow up discussion.
2: You had some key words there, which is it's a collective group. Yes. And you mentioned, you know, butcher block paper or whiteboards around the space where students can interact, have discussions, and the key with cooperative graffiti, graffiti just sounds cool. Cooperative learning has high impact. It's a 0.62 if you were to do a John Hattie check in terms of effect size. And it's what draws out the thinking. The thinking becomes visible. There's auditory, there's even kinesthetics Because as students are, let's say, answering a question on their big butcher block paper, they're in a group of four, they might each have a specific color that designates their thinking. And then they are writing a response or doing a concept map to describe their response to this question. You might even have a very analytical numerical thinker in your group that is answering a question using an equation because they like to break it down to that level but you allow students in a group to all digest a question, analyze it, have some solo thinking time, and then put it on that paper, put it on that board. It is graffiti because they're adding their own layers of thinking and we all can then view it and then engage in discussion about that thinking. So that for in, in general, in a class cooperative graffiti in person works awesome with groups with a a single piece of paper or butcher block paper or poster paper. Now, when it comes to digitizing that, there are a lot of amazing tools out there that allow you to have visible thinking, synchronous or asynchronous. And I know those two words have been used a lot. We like to think of synchronous as, let's say the boy band in sync. They are all working together. That's cooperative right there. Now, when I want to refer to a a asynchronous scenario, then that would be Justin Timberlake and his solo time when he's a solo artist. This is how I would describe it to my middle school students if I was teaching middle school right now. Plus, I always love using my boyfriend as an example. Yes. <laughs> we, my yes, my we kids
0: that would be like, are you talking boyfriend. about Branch? Are you talking about Branch from Trolls? That's what they would do.
2: <laughs> No, not that version of JT. <laughs> But we I mean the, the the version of JT where he is solo is you get to you get a sense of his flavor and his likes and dislikes, his personality, his thinking, because that's just his. But then in a collaborative group, then all those talents come together and you learn more. But you need kind of both scenarios if it's really truly to be a learning experience. But what if you can't have both scenarios in person? Because we are living with COVID right now. We are being very adaptable. Actually, our two key words um, as professional learning specialists right now is flexibility and grace. The flexibility comes when you get to use something like Jamboard. Jamboard from Google Suite, uh, it's a tool, allows you to have those scenarios with students, and they may not even be in person or in the same physical space. So just a quick plug for Jamboard. I don't know what most people call it, but when I'm going to go to my Google tools, I go to the grid or what I call the waffle. Obviously we like food because we've used that metaphor quite a bit, <laughs> but you go to your waffle and I had to scroll down to find Jamboard and and note school districts. You do have to have it turned on for your for your domain. But once it's turned on. It becomes it's much like a Google Doc or a Google slide deck. There's a link attached to it and you could make it where students to view it. But of course, if it's cooperative graffiti, you're going to want to have students have editable access So you're given boards, like they're virtual whiteboards, and you're given a number of them, and you can add visuals. You can add GIFs, Amy would love that, or GIF stickers. (laughs) You can pose a question using a sticky note, and then students can draw their answer. They can add additional sticky notes. You can put ideas down on a board, answering a question, and then have open discussion via Zoom, where then you're rearranging your sticky notes in categories to make sense of it. So it's inclusive because everybody's ideas are out, just like graffiti on a wall. And then you get to break it down and that becomes a learning experience. I wanna give a couple
1: shout outs to some teachers in our area who have been utilizing Jamboard and how they have been utilizing Jamboard because I think there's some really great examples that other teachers might want to take advantage of. Yeah. So Rebecca Hole, she's a Spanish teacher at Aurora and she is on Twitter. So if you aren't following her on Twitter, she's a great person to follow. But she had a post last week of how she was using Jamboard in her Spanish class. So she, Kristen had mentioned the sticky notes. She had made all um, of these sticky notes and on the sticky notes were different Spanish words. And then the students had to unscramble the words to make a logical conversation. And it was all in spanish so i thought that was a great use of jamboard there was another example that i found on twitter where a math teacher had put four different math problems on a jamboard and then the students had to create a sticky note that said the question was which one of these does not belong and the students had to say well i think the equation in box number one doesn't belong and this is why Um, Another shout out to Joy Udick. She's an English, high school language arts teacher in one of our schools. And she's using Jamboard where she has uploaded a paragraph and she's having students come together to edit that paragraph. So
2: just so many ways that you could use Jamboard. And I know Kristen, you always say it's your... It's my jam, I love it. And again, food analogy, jam, it's sweet, it tastes awesome and it's easy to use. (laughs) um i you have me thinking amy you know the the math problem what doesn't belong uh, it takes me back to my sesame street days and uh, honestly how can we how can we be more sesame street they sang they got a new theme they had strategies i'm not kidding now i'm starting to think about where i'm going to take mm-hmm. this next but this right now is you can dress up as snuffleupagus well they they <laughs> themed it they I did. They totally it me. had my mm-hmm. attention and I learned and I feel like we could take some notes from Sesame Street.
0: Oh absolutely. I was positive. waiting for There's a song. A I was waiting. <laughs> yes, for someone to get one of these things is not right. Um, yeah. That's, that's what it. I'm thinking of. And I, I still have it in my brain. Maybe that's kind of part of it too, right? Is clearly exactly. it worked. It
1: because stuck. I can recite
0: it on command in this moment. Okay. Um that's
2: because they created an experience. Mm-hmm. It Absolutely. wasn't boring. And you still felt, even though you were watching it on TV, that they were speaking to you. That's the other mm-hmm. part of dynamic designs. In this dynamic world, how do you personalize learning as much as you possibly can?
0: And, and I think it's important to the, as you're talking, I was thinking about just kind of outlining this thinking, right? Where we say, okay, we, we have our content and the experience, you know, what we're trying to get together. And we're going to make that into an experience, which is the strategy. And that strategy then gets moved to this digital space. And it's there then that the tech becomes part of the conversation and not the opposite, where it's at the front and we go, you know, that Flipgrid thing's pretty cool, Um, I bet I could use it for something. Instead, it's walk that path. And when you get to the place where you go, I don't know how to do this thing in this space that's where all of a sudden you go, oh, well there's Jamboard and there's (laughs) Flippity and we start to piece in those tools that, that make those types of strategies possible in those spaces. Uh, and it's tough. You know, I, I certainly want to acknowledge that at the present moment, the educators have a lot on their plates emotionally and and just functionally trying to get through their day that to learn a new piece of tech uh, is a lot. But in the midst of this, you know, maybe jigsaw is your jam. Uh, and so uh, hearing us talk about that, maybe that's the one thing that you commit to, right, to, to kind of implement into your own practices. Uh, and so consider that, I guess, as we're going through, we're not saying you have to do all of these things, but hopefully we'll say, oh, yeah, there's this thing that I love or have done in the past that, oh, that is possible. Thank you, Amy and Kristen for pointing me to this uh, particular tool that will help make that possible uh, in a digital space. And speaking of digital spaces, I know digital presence is also one of the strategies that we're going to get to next. Uh, And so, yeah, Amy, do you want to talk us through that a little bit?
1: I do. I want to also respond to one of the things you said, and I really appreciate you saying, you know, it's really about knowing your content and then figuring out what tools you can use to help deliver that content. And one of my favorite quotes right now, I know mine isn't quite as scholarly as Albert Einstein, but um, the tools are only as good as the hands that wrap around them. You are the craftsman. So I think that just really speaks to what you were saying, Andrew, about, You can take one of these. I mean, if you find one nugget, one nugget that you think speaks to you that you could utilize in your classroom with your content and how you go about delivering it, then that's a win. But yes, digital presence. How do you have a digital presence? I think, in my opinion, I think this really came to light in the spring when everything was kind of shut down. I think teachers were trying to figure out ways to stay connected to their students to stay connected to their families, to stay connected to their communities when you were basically in isolation at home. And so the one way that you could do that was to create some sort of digital presence. And a lot of our teachers didn't know how to do that. And so we do what teachers do and we just start creating and we start playing and we start trying to figure out how can I stay connected? How can I make my students feel like I am with them right now when they are learning? And one of the places that I went to and that I kind of, I did, I was one of those, I will admit it. I went down the rabbit hole with Bitmoji. Um, I'm obsessed with Bitmojis. You might think that was so five minutes ago, but to me, it is still real. And (laughs) I use it all the time. Um, but I found a group on Facebook that was created by educators and it was called Bitmoji craze for educators, which right there was speaking my language, Bitmoji craze for educators so i went to this facebook group and all of these educators were sharing their digital space that they had created they were just sharing them with everybody else for free it, and you could just literally download or upload or what's the word i'm the at? link. yeah copy the link because they were doing them all in google slides and they had these elaborate spaces that they were creating in google slides And so we were sharing this with the teachers that we work with in the ESU-9 area as well. And they were thinking, okay, this might be a way that I can create a digital space that connects with my learners. And so they were creating kind of a mirror image of what their classroom looked like in person. They would try to create this in a Google slide. So it made them feel like, okay, this is how I'm gonna go to my classroom now. I'm gonna go to this Google slide. And then the Google slide was interactive. I could click on a book and I could find a book that could be read aloud to me. Or I could click on this picture and it might take me to a YouTube video about a particular content. As a parent, I might click on the schedule and figure out what the Zoom schedule is for the day. So it just became a way that you could stay connected with your students and your parents in a digital world. Plus when the teachers put their Bitmoji, because I love my Bitmojis, when they put their Bitmoji in there, it made them at least feel like the teacher was with me. And you can even make your Bitmoji talk. I mean, there's just so many ways that you could bring the learning experience to life, even if we couldn't see
2: each other in person. I just wanted to add, because I've seen a lot of elementary teachers make their Bitmojis, but it accounts for secondary as well. I've even seen the digitized locker scenario. Yes. Where the locker is on a Google slide deck and they get to personalize their locker with all of their material supplies. You know, inspirational posters sayings memes, what have you
1: Um, That made me think of another example in terms of your digital presence and how you can bring yourself to life. Another thing that kind of took off with our teachers this spring is, you know, I've already mentioned gifts. There is a way you can make a personalized gift. So it's a gift of yourself. And so we were sharing with teachers how you go about doing that you can create a gif of yourself waving at them giving them a thumbs up that's feedback right there um, a high five pointing maybe you just want it embedded in your slide deck pointing and how we went about doing that was simply um, doing a short recording in photo booth where we would record ourselves waving or we would record ourselves doing a thumbs up and then uploading it to a website called unscreen.com where it basically takes away your background and then you have a personalized GIF of yourself that you could embed in lots of different places. So that would be another example of how to kind of just create that digital presence so you can stay connected with your students and your community and your families.
0: No, that's that reminds me of something that I actually and I've met with some PE teachers during this time too and talking about how what it looks like for them to kind of carry some of their practices over. And when I worked with strength and conditioning in the past, GIFs were something we use pretty consistently for modeling technique uh, because it repeats so quickly and you don't have to hit stop start every time and it helps to be able to see exactly what the expectation is while you're fulfilling that particular physical activity or motion, you know, and that's something that I think it has its applicability in a lot of different ways, even in the sense of modeling, you know, it's something that you could use these tools for. And the more that you can be visible in that learning space online is, is just key. And, and I'm a big advocate for instructional video production. Mm-hmm. and it 's something that I personally got into probably about six or seven years ago, and when my students I tried to make some videos, my students were like, "These videos are terrible <laughs> like you're, and, and, and i and I totally get it right because kids are video connoisseurs in a lot of sense uh, and so with that being said, you know I started to to kind of look into some of the things that that help make a video more engaging, and well, uh, screencasts are fantastic. But uh, the research shows that if if there's a person on the screen, they're a little more engaged. If it's a person they know, it's even more engaging to them. And if it's a peer, that's like paramount. Like like that that is the the top tier of engagement in that uh, structure. And I also recently attended the Fisher, Fry, and Hattie training, and they said that one of the greatest strategies, effect size wise, and I I, don't, I wish I had the number in front of me right now was basically that having those asynchronous instructional video pieces, because it allows students to kind of own their their pace and process and being able to build in some questions. And so we just really encourage teachers to think about creating instructional video pieces that do have some sort of Edpuzzle or Canvas has some of those features aspect to it, because by being in those pieces, you are then part of that digital space uh, and that should help your presence out. I don't wanna get tangential to the point that we're getting at here with some of the Bitmojis and others, but I I think there's a lot of ways to do that. uh, And it's cool to to think about that.
1: I I would agree. We've been kind of eliciting feedback from our administrators and our teachers in the area about options for delivering content or even delivering our professional Mm -hmm. learning experiences And the feedback that we've been getting is almost like a choice board. We want a live option. We want a recorded option that's interactive. It can't just, like you were just describing, it has to be interactive. And then if in-person is an option, then obviously in-person, but really they want options. They want Zoom. They want asynchronous and synchronous is basically what I'm saying. They want
2: options. Well, and i feel like we finally now know as a collective group what differentiation looks like sounds like we're designing for it which i think that's something that we will not lose or not get rid of after all of this i think we're getting good at differentiation to be quite honest
0: uh i'm getting goosebumps talk about this because i get so excited my personalized learning hat whenever i wear it is so into that thinking because How do we then teach learners to develop learner preferences by letting them try all these things on for size and then be intentional, be strategic in the choices that they're making. And I I could talk all day about that, but, but I do think it's in strong contrast, the difference between, Hey, here are seven options that I created for you, pick one because you think it's fun or the easiest or what Johnny, my best friend picked, which is what ends up influencing those choices so often versus this is the right type of either challenge or strategy or whatever that choice is for you based upon kind of your past experiences and, and, and some of those things that you just have is the way that you're wired. I don't know how else to say it, just like we're saying with the PD piece, you know what, if I prefer to watch asynchronous, then it's terrific if that option's available and I'm probably more likely to get more out of it and invest time uh, because it, it, I do have that ability to make that decision consciously, strategically.
1: That's self-directed learning. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, there it is. So any more digital regulated. presence.
1: Self-regulated, self-directed. I mean, that's the core right there. That's, the, that's what we should be striving for.
0: Right. And I think that the things that we're picking up in the present moment are helping to give us the tools and I think the skills necessary to facilitate that differentiation when we get back to whatever we might call a new normal. And I, I'm excited about that. that. I'm like really looking forward to it. Uh, and certainly these things that we're talking about now are, are the very pieces we need to be able to facilitate that in the future. And so you know, these strategies we're going through have been in person, can be digitized for the remote setting, and will only make us better when we get into that new normal space. And so any more on digital presence?
1: I'm gonna pass
2: the, I was gonna try to think of a food. Well. <laughs> Actually, I attached to a word phrase that you, you used, which was learner preference. And so really, this next strategy, it's referred to as spectrum showdown. Showdown is representing your thinking and your preference. So what I mean by a spectrum and showing what you're thinking um, looks like, I want you to think of a Ziploc baggie and the, little, the, the small plastic zipper at the top where you can take your zipper from one end of the bag to the other end of the bag. And I could be sitting in a desk in a class with my Ziploc bag and I have my zipper, or I could be on a Zoom with my class and my teacher and I could show the camera my Ziploc bag with the zipper. The zipper allows you to have a spectrum to work with. So if you're debating in class and you prompt them to, do you strongly agree or do you strongly disagree? they could move their zipper and then show on camera or kinesthetically raise their arms up high. When you say showdown, everybody puts it up. A lot of math teachers use whiteboards and they'll do showdown just like that to show their their math problem, but it could be any problem. It could be any question. It could be any prompt where there is a learner preference on how they want to answer. They use the zipper to show that. And then of course you elevate it with, well, why, how? So you grab an Expo marker and your Ziploc baggie can then turn into a whiteboard, and that's cheap. And most people have Ziploc bags at home or can find a piece of plastic. Or as a teacher, if if I was gonna actually use uh, Spectrum Showdown, which I would, because I do feel like it's kinesthetic interactive, they have to show what they think they know and then they have to justify it and they can do it in person or in Zoom, I would send every kid home with a Ziploc bag and an Expo marker because that's where they could, they could justify their answer. They could provide evidence to support their thinking and the, the zipper allows you to see the spectrum of learners you have. Um, how do they feel about a specific topic? It can be SEL as well, social emotional. How are you feeling today? And use that slider and then expose or showdown so that's just another way of it, it's cooperative it can be but it allows that learner to have that preference
1: and a great example of formative assessment and check for yes. understanding because it would be a quick way to just take the pulse of the room to see where they're at with the learning
0: and that part's so critical and it has been challenging to think about what that looks like remotely and so it's that's a terrific strategy i love to within these whether it's graffiti or showdown to that just sometimes it's as simple as just taking the wording of something and just twisting it so it makes it fun. Uh, and as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, gosh, I would probably put in a slide deck, like spectrum showdown, you know, like some sort of like, like audio piece with it, a little music sounder, like it, it's going to be an event. <laughs> like when we get like, to the come spectrum right. <laughs> <way. laughs> yeah. Be terrific. Oh, go ahead, Kristen.
2: Well, I was just going to say, um, I've, I've some practical examples as well. Math teachers have used the zipper on the Ziploc bag as a number line. Um, I, in science class, you know, in the United States, we use the standard measurement system, not metric. So when you're trying to teach the metric system, instead of on the whiteboard, you know, you setting up your prefixes, you have that slider. So that is not just for elementary again, differentiation. You could find a way to use it with your content area and with multi grades. We
1: even use this strategy with teachers when we were trying to convey, we keep mentioning John Hattie. I, I feel like he's a friend. I mean, I don't get a Christmas card from him <laughs> yet, yet, but he's, he's a friend. My I am goals. requesting a cardboard cutout of him. We were supposed to have this visible learning event live next week, and I was really wanting him there. And so I was advocating for, if he can't be there, can you at least send a cardboard cutout <laughs> so I can get my picture taken. <laughs> um, anyways, I digress. We use this strategy with teachers when we were trying to demonstrate what the effect size of different strategies were. So we would have them use the zipper, like what, what do you think the effect size is of this strategy? And they would move the zipper Zipper to what? Do you think it's a 0.4? Do you think it's a 0.8? Where do you think this strategy falls? So lots of ways
2: that you can use a Ziploc baggie that's predicting that's making your hypothesis and then being able to justify your answer with others. So it's a powerful one.
0: Terrific. And it's, it's awesome too that in the midst of a conversation that has been focused on things being moved to being digital um, within that conversation too, there are still those tactile experiences that uh, we want to point people to as well, because it, yeah, as all of us know the day can get a little bit long when you're on zoom a lot and anything you can do whether it's in taking notes or a ziploc bag to to sometimes revert back to some manipulatives i think uh, becomes a really great piece so uh in the midst of that exchange right you're getting feedback from the learners and so maybe we can transition how you like i'm (laughs) moving the conversation to feedback there in a not so subtle pivot
1: Feedback, yeah. I I love this one because I think that almost everything that we've shared with you so far today, you could say is a form of formative assessment. It could be utilized to get feedback from your learner. So really this could be the overarching umbrella in a sense. Mm -hmm. But one of the things because of what we learned and what research is saying about how we should be delivering content, how we should be utilizing the feedback loop, is to be more Siri. And I know Kristen, you love this example. So I'm going to toss
2: it to you because you, so you can explain that, how to be more Siri with your feedback. So I want you to consider what you gain from Siri or what you gain from the voice in your car. When you're using Google maps or your phone, you want to get from point A to point B and you want to be efficient and you want clarity and feedback should be just that. So We refer to this as FAST feedback and in education, we love acronyms, but this is a good one, FAST. F is for frequent. So I do appreciate when Siri is answering a question or Google Maps is telling me uh, where my next turn is that there's no hesitation. It is when I need it so I can progress. The A is for accurate and we love that too. I want to know that my directions are as accurate (laughs) as possible even when there's trouble ahead. You know, right now we have the technology where it will reroute you if needed. And I feel like right there, that's, she's differentiating for me. Make Um, a U-turn. Yes. Make a (laughs) U-turn. The S is for specific and that's where the the clarity is so important. I went very specific directions. um, If I am to turn right and then in how many feet, she even tells me in how many feet sometimes. Um, The T for fast is for timely you want it when you need it and you have to know your students well to give it that way so being more Siri in your class is just thinking about formative assessment in terms of those checks for understanding they can be very quick but you want to make sure that they're quick and they're clear and they help a student get from point a to point b each and every student from point a to point b So a couple like
1: digital tools that I think of when I think of fast feedback or how to be more Siri with feedback. A new one that I found recently is Moat, which it's a Google extension where, you know, you can do your comments in Google and Google Docs or Google Slides, which is super easy. But Moat is an extension where you can provide an audio to your comments. So again, when we think about ways that we can be more connected and more personalized, with the feedback that we're giving, Moat is just an easy option. Another one that I think of is Flipgrid. I know Flipgrid is super popular right now and I don't even, I still feel like it's underrated. Like I still feel like there's so much that can be done and utilized with Flipgrid. And if you're not familiar with Flipgrid, it's a tool that you could use as the learner in the classroom, as the teacher in the classroom. It's where you pose a question and the response is in a short, again, it's that fast, it's a short video and the teacher can respond to that video, peers in the classroom can respond to that video. So when you even think about feedback, a peer-to-peer feedback, Flipgrid is another great tool that you could utilize to do and engage in some peer-to-peer feedback. So those are the two that really stick out to me right now is fast feedback flipgrid and moat
0: yeah, and I, I love both of those two in that moat correct me if i'm wrong also then turns your talk to text and so you have the opportunity to read it should you prefer that so it's kind of like touch upon their preferences at the same time and and you're right i mean the versatility of flipgrid is just Remarkable. And and I actually was visiting with some math teachers not too long ago that were concerned about, okay, how do I make sure, since we're talking about Siri and all these other things, how do I make sure when I'm giving homework problems that the students not asking Alexa (laughs) for all the answers or find stuff online. And so we started to troubleshoot. Well, maybe, you know, it should be more about, can you demonstrate that you understand the thinking that goes into this problem? And so how are we going to do that? And Flipgrid has the ability for you to Really, just drag a blackboard or a whiteboard across half the screen. You could even keep your face still in picture and solve the problem and talk about it and record it and it's what it, what's terrific too from the teachers end is that all that's housed in one place as you said you can give feedback that meets all of these fast criteria and you can listen to it in double time so <laughs> it kind of speeds up uh, you know the viewing process so uh, i think there's a lot of really utility and benefit to that and wow do our learners really need that feedback piece and it was tough to do that in the spring I think that we were just trying to navigate the present moment so much that that just was uh, something that I don't think was con- as consistently addressed as I'm starting to see it become more and more now. And so thanks for advocating for that. Cause I do think that's really important.
2: I agree. <laughs> uh, we do like the phrase feed forward. I've heard some teachers use that. And I feel like the feedback loop that Amy referred to is there is a feed forward, like be more Siri. There's feedback where you're really giving them that quality, information about where they're currently at and they're learning and how to progress further. We are just very strong proponents of offering it as frequently as possible.
0: I like that. Would you say, I'm gonna ask this question though, would you say that, I've never heard feed forward and feedback, but I really like that. Would you say that feedback is something that typically happens more so on the front end of a learning experience and feed forward is in the process?
2: I think feed forward is definitely within the process and I think that's where the power is. I think that's okay. where you have the most impact is within the process because then the learner sees the learning as growth, not necessarily my grade or my current level. It's all about leveling up and growth and I think feed forward is more growth oriented.
0: Okay. So there's a good
2: balance with feedback and feed forward.
0: Right. Okay, so may, and maybe even that, now I'm thinking more about this, feedback might be what bookends a learning experience while f- feed forward would be in real time.
2: Yeah, in real time and in the process. I would agree with that.
0: Cool. Oh, thanks. That's There's another little tidbit from today that just really stretched my thinking. And you guys have done that across a myriad of topics here, and which I really appreciated. Um, typically when we get to the end of our pod, which we're uh, by time and topic, I think at that place, I'd love to uh, ask guests to, uh, just take a moment to kind of you know, impart whatever uh, message they would like to share. Uh, so individually, if you'd like to to maybe offer some words of encouragement or share something that you're thinking at the present moment that might be helpful to not only those within our ESU network, but uh, educators at the at this time as we start off the semester.
2: Uh, well, I will give you a gratitude for this opportunity. And this is what I would like to say to all educators out there you are essential. You are taking risks. You are being innovative among chaos at times. There's some incredible thinking that's going on and that thinking needs to be visible and it needs to be shared. So a podcast is something that I've always wanted to try and to take that risk. I'm okay with failing. I don't feel like I did today because I have learned so much of this process. This is allowing me to walk the talk and to, to be in the shoes of educators that are working oh so hard right now and really stretching themselves. I got to stretch today. So thank you. That was
1: beautiful, Kristen.
0: Thank you. Well said. It was, yeah.
1: I, I'm going to come back to something that Kristen said earlier. And this is the message that we have been conveying to the educators that we've been working with in the past six months since everything kind of shifted. And that is that we are trying to operate with grace and flexibility and I, I, I truly am trying to live my life that way. It's really, really easy to get overwhelmed and anxious by all of the unknowns that we are living with right now, but just reminding myself to have fle- grace and flexibility is my way of coping. And I would also like to echo the gratitude that I have to you for allowing us to be on this podcast today because this is a stretch for us. And I think the reason why kristen and i work so well together is because we both are not afraid to fail we know that when you fail is when you grow and when you learn i also want to express gratitude to all the educators out there we have been saying for the past few months that this year everyone is a first-year teacher this year everyone is a first-year principal this is new and different for everyone and we see you we hear you and we are always here. Like we are learners and we are happy to support people in any capacity. So that would be another message that I would like to just put out there. Like we're not afraid to get dirty in the learning with people. So we're game for trying things out and just a big, big, big gratitude to everyone that's in education right now.
0: Uh, i 'm so glad that you kind of brought that full circle with that point too because that 's really as I was listening in to these closing messages that 's where, where my thoughts were is that if we 're talking about grace if we 're talking about becoming uh, almost a first year teacher again and you think about the things that help you to navigate those times it's it 's your colleagues and it 's other professionals and it 's a podcast and it 's really being part of of a conversation bigger than yourself and as educators we 're so used to shutting the door and kind of you know being able to almost preside over the experience that happens within those walls that uh in in this moment where we we need to grow and stretch it takes talking with other people to to get to that place and so uh, that's why i love to advocate um, and share this podcast around because there's just some great conversations uh and that really at the heart of even creating this is to show people a little window into the, the amazing folks that we have within our esu network and just encourage them to to reach out because we absolutely want to be a part of that conversation uh, and so help us help you help learners in the midst of everything that's going on uh, amy kristen you guys are terrific uh, thank you so much for your time uh, and we look forward to learning from you again hopefully on another episode soon